It feels to me like uh, this morning arrived about three minutes after we arrived on Monday, and it's Wednesday. Anybody here has a feeling that that happened in a flash of lightning? The idea that things come and go, as we've all spoken about, is, uh, as Kanda said yesterday at some point, is such a valuable insight, really, to carry with us, so that when things are difficult, you think, well, this is now, but who knows what's going to happen next. And it can't, this won't endure, whatever it is, it won't endure. Uh, on the other hand, when something is wonderful and we wanted it to endure, it won't either. And I keep thinking that the great value of knowing that is that for me, it, uh, it really means be here now and enjoy this moment exactly as it is, or be with this moment exactly as it is. Not every moment is enjoyable, but every ma- moment is livable, and we could know it. I, the, at the end of last night, I read that uh, teaching from my friend where he said, what I am right this moment, up to now, is the result of everything that ever happened since the beginning of the world. And here I am at, in this cusp of moment, and I'm awake, and what I do at this moment, right now, is a part of what unfolds not only of my future, but as a future of everything. So that we are at the same time insignificant when you think of the vastness of the cosmos, but an integral part in it. And that's so exciting for me to think about. One of my teachers, Joseph Goldstein, said to me, oh, he said to a whole group of people, and he probably said it many times, he said, my practice took a great leap forward when I... I got the idea that I was not practicing for myself, but I was practicing for all beings. And he said I would sit on my zafu, and especially if I was sleepy or my mind was here and there and I wasn't making any effort to pull it together, he said I would look around and I'd pick out somebody, the back of their head somewhere ahead of me, and I would think to myself, I'm practicing on their behalf, even if it's the back of them, and I don't know who it is. He said, especially if it's somebody who's slumped over, and looks like they're having a struggle staying awake, I would practice thinking my practice was going to pick them up. And he said, it just so invigorated my practice. I'm just not sitting here for myself. I'm sitting here for everybody in the room, and I'm sitting here for everyone everywhere. I hadn't remembered that in a long time until I sat down with you, and I wanted to tell you that. He was also the teacher that taught me about the value of intention all the time, conscious intention, so that there's an intention on sitting down, and we don't just sit down, get ready, get set, start. Now I'll see if I can focus the attention and settle down. I said way before is when you sit down, before you start focusing, you make an intention. And he, and they, among the intentions, he told me, were um, make an intention that the clearest insight about uh, impermanence, 
should appear, might appear to you in this sitting, or the clearest understanding about the causes of suffering, or the clearest understanding about the interconnection of all things. May that insight arise for me. He said, don't think about it. Just hope it arises as an insight. I actually think that a good name for this practice would be revelation practice. Because we don't come here to think things through and figure them out. People sometimes say, I'm so glad to be on retreat because I have time to figure out this complicated situation in my life. So now I have this five days or ten days or two days or whatever to figure it out. And I try to say in a very encouraging way, you know, I think if you could have figured it out, you would have done it already. But what you really could have happened to you is you could have an intuitive event, you could have a revelation, so that when you sit down, you could say to yourself, may the clearest revelation I have ever had about what to do with this particular situation in my life that I'm stuck in arise from me in this sitting. There's one last thing to say before I be quiet and we can sit, that there's a very famous part of the story about the Buddha sitting down under the tree that he sat down under when he had finished six years of practicing with teachers here and teachers there and teachers here and teachers there and had not yet discovered for himself what the cause and the end of suffering was for all beings. And he said, I'll do this myself. And he sat down and according to the the lore about this, he sat down and he said, I am determined I'm not getting up until I'm enlightened. Sat down under the tree, I'm not getting up until I'm enlightened. And he put his um, hand down on the ground. You'll see some of the Buddha statues around. He has one hand down on the ground. And he said to have put it down in a gesture, I have a right to be here. This is me now, and I'm not getting up till I'm enlightened. And the story, of course, goes on that throughout the course of the night, he understands deeply the causes and the end of suffering. And what carry him through is his own steadfast goodwill that he radiates out from him in all directions as he sits. And fairly often, especially when I teach retreats, I say to people, you know, Sometimes I'm in the middle of a retreat or sometimes at home even. Uh, my mind is in a distraught way or an unclear way or it's struggling with something. I sit down to meditate and I say to myself, I'm not getting up until this is all figured out. I'm not getting up until I'm enlightened about this or that particular problem or maybe about everything. As I really, I sit down and I feel in myself what I intuit to feel the feeling of uh, Siddhartha Gautama. I have a right to be here and I can, figure, I can really, this can become clear, to, this can become clear to me. I'm not getting up until I'm enlightened. And often when I tell that to people, there's like a little sniggering, uh, the people laugh about, it goes around the room, a little laugh. <clears throat> as if to say, you really think you can be enlightened? But I don't know about that. First of all, there's, a, there's, there's already a precedent for getting enlightened. I don't know for sure that I can't. But why not think it? One of the uh, paramis that Kanda spoke about yesterday is determination. 
So when I sit down and I say, I'm not getting up at the time of line, people are laughing because they think, what hubris, you think you can get enlightened. I think to myself, nobody gets bad points for thinking a hubristic thought in their mind. Nobody says, nya, nya, I just heard you think a presumptive thought about yourself. You're not that great. You shouldn't have thought that. You don't merit thinking that. How could that be true? Why would I not think? I advise you all to sit down and think, I'm not getting up till I'm enlightened. I am not, in this particular sitting, may the intention arise in all of you to say, in this particular sitting, may I have the best summation revelation of everything that I've learned in three days. And then sit. And do whatever you learned in the last three days. Ready, set, go.
as I look around the room, I, uh, I remember that about half the people here, f- for those half people, it was their first retreat. Um, where are the people for whom it was the first retreat? Huh. Where are the people who have been on retreat on and off for over five years? on and off for over 10 years. On and off, since uh, (laughs) forever. One of the reasons I wanted to do that is I have such a good feeling about however long you do this practice, a person does this practice, uh, they come back and do the same thing again. It's not like an advanced class practice. There are all kinds of things that people study that uh, people who are just meeting Buddhism might want not be so interested in, so that around Spirit Rock and other Buddhist centers, you can always take classes and, and study, sutra study and the history and uh, become more knowledgeable about the data about Buddhism and its development and the philosophy of but the practice of soothing the heart and keeping it, keeping it awake so that it will be increasingly revealed that the only sure response that, the only response of the mind that ensures happiness is compassion and clarity of purpose, clarity of understanding that to serve other people or think of other people is really what we're doing, that that when John said yesterday that Deepama uh, that Deepama had said that metta and mindfulness are uh, really the same. I think they're the same because they both of them are really practices for, for cultivating an alert and aware mind so that he can look around. John, how tight, when we made the schedule last night, how tight was it? We, no. It's not. No. Could I tell a Muhammad story? <laughs> okay. <laughs> we do very well together. <laughs> this is the. Uh, uh, this is probably my favorite story. As, as you see, I like telling stories. I'm a storyteller. I come from a family of storytellers. Uh, 20 years ago, in 1999, I went to a conference of teachers planning something or other that happened in Santa Barbara. And so a number of us were staying over in a small retreat center in Santa Barbara for a number of days. And uh, uh, on the day that we were, had tickets to fly out, on the day that we had ended, the early morning tickets to uh, fly out of Los Angeles. So the van that came to get us, the airport van, came early in the morning, and maybe eight of us came out and got in the van. It was, it was not yet light. It was just pre-dawn and very foggy. And... Uh, uh, I recognized the van driver because he had driven me three or four days earlier 
to the retreat center, and I was, had been the only passenger at that time. So I recognized him. I said, can I sit up in the front with you? Because I like to sit up in the front in Vance. I can see what's going on outside. So he said, sure. I sat up in the front, and everybody else sitting in the back, and we take off. We're riding, and it's quiet in the car. It's, everybody's dozing probably in the back. And it's pre-dawn, foggy, really misty. And we're riding along, riding along, and the driver says to me, you know, I'm a little sleepy. Would you mind, do you think your people, your friends in the back would mind if I pulled over at a rest stop at, a, at a, any of these places along the way and got some coffee? You think anybody would mind? I said, no, no, nobody would mind. Please, please do that. As a matter of fact, if you want, I'll drive until we get to that place. He said, no, it's all right, I can drive to that. But, but now I am really awake. So I, I turned myself around in my chair, and I, I'm going to involve him in conversation. So I, I said, so, uh, Mohammed, we met last week, right? We did. He drove me. And I already knew, because we'd had that ride alone, that his name was Mohammed and that he had come to L.A. three years before and that he'd come with his first cousin and that they had planned to open an Indian restaurant and that they had done it, but the Indian restaurant did not succeed, so they had to close it. And they had done that thinking they could bring their whole family over, but they didn't bring their family over. I know how many families he had. And, and so now they were driving for this van company so I had exhausted all of the questions that you would make conversation about on the way, but I'm determined to make conversation. So I said, so, Mohammed, uh, you're a Muslim, right? And he said, yeah, I am. So I said, uh, do you pray? He said, yeah, I do. I expected he was going to say that. I said, how many times a day do you pray? And I think he said five I'm pretty sure five, unless somebody knows that it's eight, but I think he said five. I knew that too, but I asked anyway. I said, uh, what language do you pray in? He said, well, I pray in, and he said, but it isn't English. I said, well, how about sing some of your prayers for me? He said, you won't understand it. I said, it's all right, I'd like to see how it sounds. So he sings a little bit, then he says, you know, I said, that's lovely. I said, uh, so when you pray, do you pray long or do you pray short? He said, well, it doesn't matter. You could pray long or you could pray short. Sometimes he can't pray long, so he pray short. And then he said, you know, it doesn't matter if you pray long or short. What matters for the prayers is that you connect with your heart. I said, well, how do you do that? How do you connect with your heart? He said, well... And he waves his arm like this to show me the world outside. But the world outside is completely a fog out there. It's still riding in the fog. He said, well, look, it's like out there. There's all these people in the world. And everybody, is, 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 it is as if they have been thrown into the ocean. And nobody knows how to swim. When you think about that, you connect with your heart. And that is my favorite story from all the years of hearing stories that if you look and you see everybody out there is having to do a life, and we don't have an instruction manual. Don't know how to do it. We don't know how to swim. It's hard to be a person. And everybody's trying anyway, the best they can. If you look around and you see the world, my favorite venues for practice 
are crowded places like airline terminals. You look around, everybody's going someplace, everybody's got a purpose. Nobody accidentally finds themselves in an airline terminal. <laughs> they, they're there either because they're, going, they're all going somewhere for a purpose. Sometimes they're going for a holiday in some exotic place and they're very happy, maybe. But maybe they're going to that holiday in the exotic place with the person they're traveling with, hoping to revive their failing loving relationship. You don't know. Or maybe they're going to their 80-year-old mother's final days. Or maybe they're going to their 90-year-old father's 90th birthday. Or maybe they're going to um, the Farber Clinic in Boston because they have an unusual kind of a cancer, and they treat it there. You don't know where anybody's going, but everybody's there for a purpose, and everybody's head is full of brain, mind, mind is the best word. Everybody's mind is full of their proximal worries and their distal worries and their worries in the world, and everybody's just sitting there. Like we're monumental containers for all the pain and woe and joy and happiness. 10,000 joys and 10,000 woes the Buddha said, is what we have. And everybody's got them. And I sometimes have a fantasy that if we could have like a big computer screen on the top of everybody's head or following their body so that you could see a person coming towards you and it would say, just diagnosed with diabetes and is worrying about losing their job. And then the next one would come in on the way to visit grandmother for the summer, on the way to this. If we knew the story of people and what was going on in them, we would lower our voice, we'd smile at them. We would smile at them, unless it said on my way to do something terrible, but then we'd, <laughs> we, might do something with, we might do something with them as well. I'd like to talk to you for a minute, would you mind sitting down? <laughs> we certainly wouldn't brush it off. We would involve ourselves. That's really that. That's what what's really is meant by this practice of mindful. What's Jack calling it? Mindful loving aware. He's calling it loving awareness. He's calling it loving awareness, in place of mindfulness, and I'm hopeful we're going to call it loving awareness, forever. And it will include making blessings for the well-being of other people. We'll say now do meta now do this. Anyway, Mohammed is my favorite story. You look around, wherever you are, and it immediately pulls you out of your own stuff. You say, wow, it makes you tender. Everybody is doing it. It's very hard to be a person, and everybody who has elected to stay alive is doing it. And then you think, good for you, good for you, go for it. So now we're gonna do something else. We're going to do the first part of, uh, interact with, of interacting with each other, with speech. Did you ever think about the fact that uh, Connor's going to talk a little bit later this morning about why speech as one part, mindful speech, why speech which is one part of the Eightfold Path. But I, I always think about... Uh, that it's redundancy to say wise action as one part of the Eightfold Path and then say wise speech. Speech is an action. I think because speech is so powerful, 
it gets apart all by itself. One false move and people will remember. When, when I was a child, people used to say, when they got insulted, they'd say, sticks and stones will break my bones. You ever heard that? But words will never harm me. That's absolutely not true. That's absolutely not true. Huh? Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> We're very good about that. Okay, leave it. We're now going to talk to each other. <laughs> but not just like that. We're going to talk to each other. We're going to do a homework and talk to each other. You ever have that experience of being in a class and the teacher says, take out the homework? Think, ah, homework. I didn't do it. I forgot. Take out the mindfulness sutta. And if you don't have it, sit next to somebody who does. Find somebody who does. So I will tell you as a preamble to this, that the first time I read the Metta Sutta, I thought, nah, I thought this is not much because it's a, it, it kind of read to me like uh, the Nike ad. You know, just do it. <laughs> really, it says, just do it, you know. Uh, and then I thought, it doesn't have any instructions in it. It just says, just do it. Omitting none. Hey, that's the hardest thing any of us could do. Just do it. Then I, decided, I said, it doesn't have any real instructions. Then after a while, I said, well, it tells you to do this or that, but it doesn't tell you how to cultivate the heart that will enable you to do this or that. Then I thought, ah, it does have one line that's a good instruction. And over the years, and then I started to give it out to people, and I'd say there is one line that's a really good instruction, and we'll read it, and everybody will pick out the line that's the really good instruction. And I, just like I gave, you have it now. And then when we finish, I'll say, what's the really, what you're going to discuss with the person that you choose as your partner, what's the really important instruction? And I discovered that in a room full of people, there were about 30 or however many lines there are. There are that many decisions about what's the crucial line. So I have decided from doing this particular exercise many, many times that every line is crucial. And that every line could make, you could have a, make a whole exegesis of text on every single line, write a book on it. So, as you're reading this and hearing it, think to yourself, which is the crucial line? <laughs> okay, here we go, out loud. I'll well, we'll all read it. Now let us chant, say the Buddha's words on loving kindness. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in, and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, and easily satisfied. The duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature, let them not do the slightest thing of which the wise may later reprove, wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease, whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, 
the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near or far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none despise another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies, downwards and depths, outwards and unbounded, free from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Okay. So, you need to have one partner. You can have, if you are three people, you could be three people. Every, if, if you can, if you're four people, be two and two people, because otherwise you won't have enough time to talk. So everybody has one partner or two partners? Anybody doesn't have a partner, partner? Okay, here come the instructions. Okay. So this is uh, pretty much the first time you've talked about something a few sentences at a time with somebody. So in a minute when I say ready, set, go, <laughs> introduce yourself to the partner, take a breath. You don't have to fall on it. You're going to have, um, I don't know, maybe a half hour, John? Half hour. <laughs> uh, half hour. Maybe a little less, we'll see. Uh, but nobody has, to, nobody has to give a speech. You can say some things and the other people say things. Have a discussion. This is the one I picked, that's the one I picked. Why did you pick it? What else do you think? What happened in your life that makes you feel that that's the one? Tell a story about yourself. Teach the person that you're with. When the Buddha sent the monks that he had been training for a long time, out to uh, carry the Dharma to other people all over India at that point. He said to them, in the sutta of teaching to the monks, he said, teach, go forth, O monks, and teach the Holy Dharma in the idiom of the people. And I like to think that what that meant is as these monks went across India, they taught in Gujarati or Hindi or whatever was the local dialect, that the idiom of the people means what people will understand immediately. And I say that often to people at the end of the retreat. Maybe we'll see it t say it today, or I'll say it now. Go forth, O oh friends, and teach what you learned in whatever idiom the people that you're with will understand your friends, your colleagues, your work. We are the people who will carry the word that peace is possible in our time, and we can be an agent of it from now on. So have a conversation with each other. 
get to know each other, and pick the one, maybe two, <laughs> phrases. Not two, not two separate ones, but if a, if a sentence runs on, you could have the second line. Go.
Kanda, when is the next thing that we're supposed to do? I'm sorry? What's our time schedule? It's very, it's really lovely. It's really lovely to see that. Well, there's two things to say. This is so not working. There are two things to say. One of them is clearly, no one has forgotten how to talk. <laughs> and this, what? Um, no one's forgotten how to talk, and this is an endlessly interesting subject, reading this. Uh, Jashoda and I, Jashoda mentioned to me that she and I have used this for years teaching together and um, that she uh, uses it when she's teaching without me with other groups. There's just so much to say about this. And as I talked about when I, we read the sutta together the last time, this is the whole of the path, Sila Samadhi Panya. This is about uh, ethics training and um, mind training and the wisdom that accrues from training the mind. So everybody had something to say about it. Here's a thing to do. Um, how about, I'll read it. And did you all agree, agree that this is, the, this is the one thing? No. So let's decide that, that six people can, how many, okay. Who wants to stand up and shout out, because so, we don't have to run around with microphones, what my, and saying my partner and I decided that the most important line is, and because, da-da-da. Who wants to do that? Ready, set, go. Okay, there you are in the back. Thank you.
so with boundless heart, should one cherish all, cherish all living things, radiating the kindness of the entire world. He took boundless heart and broke that down and said, a boundless heart will, will must, as you like, um, be confined with compassion and gratitude. So with a compassionate heart and gratitude in your heart, should one cherish all living things, radiating Well, thank you very much both for sharing and for noticing that about Spirit Rock. Who else wants to get up and say, okay, there you go. Thank you. Thank you very much. There you go. <laughs> thank you very much. Yes. That's right. And I was trying to look for actions in here and, you know, preach, preach the gospel, use words if necessary, um, but there weren't any, so we had to <laughs> Thank you. So who else? There.
Thank you. Thank you. Who else wants to say? There. Yeah, no, no. Especially with people who we're most close to, uh, it's very challenging to, in every moment, feel free from ill will. Um, and then also uh, something that I think John said yesterday really resonated with both of us, or maybe it was Conda or, or some of both. But the idea that um, that hate doesn't hate can't heal or end. Thank you very much. Oh, there you are. We were quite interested in by not holding to fixed views. Mm-hmm. Much, we were connecting it to that the meta exercise where we were trying to send meta to people who are difficult and thinking how we have fixed views of them, but how can anything really be fixed since it's just what's happening now? They might be expressing these fixed views and be completely different later, just back where they were right now, and then uh, we might also have fixed views on them, which will change in the moment. So it seems a great statement about the changing nature of the universe and how that's what, the fixed view is what's happening now, let's see what happens. Thank you very much. Yes. Mm-hmm. I like what you said about finding something in the human language of people. And I actually finished each other's lines. For me, as a mother and a teacher, um, is even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, and so with a boundless heart, should one cherish all living beings. And different parent experiences, but we all know what, it, what we like to feel. And as Thank you very, very much. Okay, this is the last one.
Thank you very much. So, uh, this is just a one, uh, a yes or no, well, here, how many people, close your eyes for a second, feel your body, your mind, body-mind, see if this talking and getting excited about what you're saying, what other people are saying, has buzzed you up a little bit. How many people think it woke you up a little bit? Buzz, change the inner atmosphere. Okay. On behalf of that, we're now going to have um, 15 minutes to do whatever you need to do to take care of yourself. And please do it in silence. So you let some of that buzz settle down. And please come back in and we'll do some movement together. So come back in and do and be standing in 15 minutes. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.